This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is August 9th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Matt Shortis, 2006 to 2008. Okay. And what uh, shows or programs did you work on at the station? Uh, so a lot of the sports stuff, uh, locker room. We had a football show called In the Trenches. Uh, did a lot of play-by-play for all the Hofstra sports as well as the Long Island Lizards, um, a couple of collegiate summer league baseball teams that we had worked with, uh, worked on Newsline, um, the Rock and Roll Oasis, I think, and Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call. I think that probably covers everything. That, that covers quite a bit. Um, <laughs> did you work on any of the weekend shows or community volunteer programs? We were always there on the weekends because sports stuff um, and the locker room was on Sunday nights. Uh, but we were, we were, I was always a presence and worked with a lot of the community volunteers uh, Eileen Cronin and Tony Jackson, chief among them, but also Basha with the uh, the, the Polish show. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Um, did you have any titles or positions at the station? Yes. I was the technical, the assistant sports director for technical first, and then I was the sports director after that. Okay. Um, when you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have any nicknames or personas? Use my own name. Okay. All right. Um, so the next part is a two-part question and answer however makes sense to you. But I like to ask what it is that first brought you to the station. And then if you could describe what the station was like when you showed up, if you could give us a sense of maybe who was around or what it looked like or what it smelled like, what was going on when you first got to Hofstra Radio? Sure. Um, so my freshman year, I, I commuted all four years. Uh, my freshman year, I remember seeing... Um, either it, it might've been at the, the orientation, uh, at the time, I don't know if they still do this or if, you know, how long they were doing it prior to, to me being a student there. But at the time you had to go for orientation and stay on campus for the entire duration of orientation, whether you were a commuting student or not. Right. Uh, so I think it was during the orientation that I had gotten a, an application for the radio station and promptly did nothing with it for a year. <laughs> and then, um, I had gotten an email in my Hofstra email the summer between my freshman and sophomore years for the Ed Ingalls Sports Broadcasting Institute. Uh, I hadn't yet met Ed at that point, and um, it seemed like something that I really wanted to do, something that would be be worth it. Um, so whenever, whatever week it was during the summer, that camp took place in Dempster Hall, and a lot of it also at the radio station. Uh, there were a couple of Hofstra students that were members of WRHU that were also taking the camp. And uh, basically once they knew I went to Hofstra, they were like, you have to, you have to apply to the radio station. Like it's not even a, not even a question. So uh, I, I was there already. Uh, and then after a, a pretty long week, uh, intensive of, of diving headfirst into broadcasting and learning from Ed and meeting some of the Hofstra students, I had decided to um, to apply to the radio station and got in and took the training class that fall. So I guess I, I kind of had two firsts introductions to the radio station then. One is this, this camper who is not a member of the radio station. Uh, and I can remember, as many of us do, you know, writing. I was the first, one of the, on the first day of this camp, we would write two-minute sportscasts and then record them. And I can remember going to the 
recording booth. Um, I think it was um, that space is not technically there anymore. They've they've redone things, but it was it was the room that we had that was uh, just north of North, which is now probably a uh, a sitting lounge outside of the news hub. Um, so I can remember throwing on the headphones and hearing my voice in my own ears for the first time. And mm. I think most of us can, uh, identify with that uncomfortable experience. Uh, and then, you know, as a, after I got into the training class, I kind of just dove headfirst into everything, uh, you know, showed up for, showed up for locker rooms, showed up for, you know, whatever else. And especially as a commuter, to me, it kind of became uh, a home on campus, someplace where I belonged because, you know, I could hang out there between classes and, and, you know, started to become a familiar face, started to make friends. Uh, so much so that by the time I got out of the training class, I had a bunch of people saying like, wait, you were in this training class? I thought you were in the station already. <laughs> so probably about halfway through, once I got announced and cleared or whatever, I was just, a. Uh, um, it was part of my every day to be there. So were you going to Hofstra to study communications? What was your, uh, I guess it's a two-part thing. What were you planning to study? And when you get that first application during orientation, were you thinking about the radio station or is that just something that kind of came, just fell in your lap? It was something I saw and something I was I was thinking about. Uh, I did declare my major as broadcast journalism when I enrolled at Hofstra, but I would say I didn't really have a clear direction for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had uh, part of the reason I went to Hofstra was I, I, Hofstra had come to my high school. They did a, um, an event where they essentially look over your transcript. They tell you whether you're accepted or not like on the spot. Uh, and I was accepted and I was between Hofstra and another school. The other school waitlisted me. Uh, and then actually, you know, sent me an acceptance letter later in the summer. But by that point I had already decided to go to Hofstra. Uh, but I didn't really have a clear, hey, this is what I want to do. This is my plan. Uh, now I know we have students that come in they're like, hey, I chose Hofstra because of the radio station, because I want to do Islanders or whatever. I I didn't really know enough about the radio station that it that it was a, a you know a driving factor for me. Um, I forget the second part of the question that you asked. Well, when you get the application to join the radio station uh, at orientation, uh, you know, because at different times, the university has been more supportive of getting people aware of the radio station. And I wonder yeah. if was it something that because it interested you, you found an application or was it just like this was in a pile of other stuff that, that people were handing out? No, they definitely had a uh, they had a table. I don't remember who it was, but there was a table outside of. Uh, at, at somewhere in the student center, but not in the main part, because I think we had had some sort of group thing in the, um, I think it's the, the multi-purpose room or the, the other, not the theater that's right outside Accent Library, but the theater that's more in the student center area. Mm -hmm. um, so there were definitely tables outside of that with different clubs and whatnot. Uh, I remember like Hofstra concerts was, was there and RHU had a table and I had spoken to someone, I had gotten an application and, um, and I thought it was cool. And then I think I, I didn't act on it right away and then missed the deadline for, um, for the training class. And then, you know, didn't really give it much thought until I was back in the building the following summer. So your freshman year, you're just taking 
your basic introductory courses? Were you in Dempster Hall? Were you, were you coming across the radio station or is it just complete afterthought? No, I wasn't in Dempster Hall at all. I was doing, you know, I, all the classes that they set me up with at orientation and basically, you know, going to sit in my car between classes or, mm-hmm. uh, going home between classes or, um, cause I only, I grew up in West Hempstead, so I wasn't too far. Um, so yeah, I don't think I was in Dempster Hall at all. The first semester of my freshman year and then second semester, I had a couple communications classes in the same classroom and, uh, in Dempster Hall in 107. Uh, and that was actually the class that the classroom that Ed used for his, um, Broadcasting, Broadcasting Institute. So I was kind of walking by the radio station, but wasn't really thinking much about it. Mm-hmm. So, so you do that summer camp, and then you decide to apply. And I guess there's there's an interview process, and then the training class. What do you remember about the that part of the process? I, I think I interviewed with Ed. I'm pretty sure I interviewed with Bruce. Uh, so at the time, they would have at least one of the uh, adult managers for lack of a better term. And then, mm. uh, somebody on the EB would have been in the interview as well. I think I, I think I interviewed with the Lena Florescu or Nick Rafter. Um, I remember being nervous going into the interview, but then also thinking like that Ed had kind of put in a good word for me. So I was mm. hoping that, hoping that that would be enough to get me into the training class. Um, and then I remember the training class also, feeling very serious because it was 10 weeks, you know, that it, you get scared straight on your first, uh, first class with Bruce's, I like to sleep nights speech. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I also remember being excited, right? Because it seemed like something I wanted to do. I had started to, at that point, kind of started to talk to people in and around the station and kind of get a feel for what they did. Uh, and yeah, just, I remember being excited about it too. Hmm. Um, you mentioned, you know, Ed putting in a good word for you from, uh, your experience from the, the previous summer. Um, I, I like to ask this question because obviously now, you know, Ed Ingalls as, as the man, as the broadcaster, as the educator, but you know, when you first met him during that, that summer program. Did you know much about Ed? Did was there any sort of idea of the background of who this guy was? No, no. I um, I knew some of the names that came to speak at the camp. Um, like Spencer Ross had come to speak, and I know he had mm-hmm. he had been on Nick's games uh, pretty recently up until that point. Uh, Mike Breen came to speak. Kenny Albert came to speak, um, and these are all people that I would you know kind to kind of come to know as colleagues and. Um, friends over the course of the years but i didn't really know much about ed his career the person etc until later um i think you know it would more be like i remember my later on mentioning to my grandfather or like my cousins that are older than me they'd be like oh wow you know ed ingles and um so they had more of a a reference for his um you know, his professionalism and his career than I did, at least when I, when I first met him. Hmm. Um, do you remember stuff from that, that, that first camp that you learned or any advice that Ed gave? Cause you, you talked about, you know, getting on the microphone and he, hearing yourself in the headset for the first time, or what yeah. was there stuff that you picked up that you, that you carried with you into the training program? 
Yes. I I do remember it. It was, I mean, as most anything when you first do it, it was terrible. Um, <laughs> listening, listening back to it, I mean, we had, uh, it, it's kind of interesting because I, I guess I did it in 2006, like the summer of 2006, and the the jump in technology, because uh, probably even the next summer, I had started to help Ed with the camp itself as, you know, an assistant and a counselor and instructor. Um, and my, all my demo stuff that I received from that camp is like a VHS tape and a cassette tape. Hmm. Um, and then I think the next year we started to ditch that. And I was saying, Ed, we got to, you know, get this stuff on CDs. So it's more accessible to everybody. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a few things that stick out. I remember realizing exactly how difficult play-by-play was um i was never one of these people that you know you, you hear guys say i would mute the game and i would talk into a hairbrush and all. I, I was never that um i remember occasionally do it like while i was playing basketball or playing baseball like i would narrate it to myself but i was never somebody who would sit in front of the television and, and do play-by-play um and then doing it off a monitor which many people learned in COVID is way more difficult than doing it in person. So I can remember doing a Knicks, a Knicks Nets game that they had a copy of off a, you know, a 35 inch tube TV mm-hmm. in Tempster hall. And, um, one of the instructors was, was Joel Blumberg who had had a bit of a reputation of being a little prickly, uh, to some folks. It became a great mentor of mine later on. And, uh, he was the uncle of, somebody else who went to RHU, Evan, Evan Wilner. Uh, and I remember just him kind of like getting into me and telling me, you know, how bad everything was. And um, like, wow, this is harsh. I've never done that before. But, um, but I also remember, you know, Ed's, Ed's encouragement and, uh, and um, you know, just the, the energy around the, camp and kind of getting thrown into doing all this stuff and we were doing live shots and i remember uh kevin ingles was doing camera work for that and we did these live shots outside of hofstra and i got to interview joe Gardy. so it was really just a um really wide reaching introduction to everything that i could be doing um in the broadcasting area it had writing it had announcing it had play-by-play work it had research it had interviewing all this stuff um so it was really a great introduction and you know uh, looking back on knowing ed for as long as i did after that i think the the biggest thing that i I always take away is just the the person that he is and the, the kindness and sort of like the genial attitude that he would bring to the class you know and he'd sit in the front of the class and he'd cross his legs and he'd be very calm and he would have a throat lozenge and he'd take out the paper and he'd, you know, ex- just take the time to explain what it is that we were doing, why it's important, how do we want to focus on things. And, uh, and whenever there was something you could do better, he explained why and what to improve. Uh, and just that from a student on towards later, I always found that very valuable. Yeah, yeah, there's a common theme in, in things I hear uh, from people who knew Ed and, and worked with him and, and learned from him that he was he was always very uh, patient and encouraging and and uh, clearly had uh, your best interest at heart. It, it never felt like oh I'm I'm you know I'm going to get yelled at I'm going to get 
scolded for this. It's, you know, we're always learning. We're always going to do better. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the, the, um, there's an incident. It, this was later on. It wasn't, I know this is our, uh, scope of conversation here is earlier but I do remember there was an incident where I had, uh, booked out studio North for a show. Somebody else, uh, the higher ups at the university had booked out, ha- hadn't booked out studio North, but had been using studio North with regularity for that time period. Uh, and I kind of knew what I was doing. I was kind of making a point. Um, uh, but also I went by procedurally what we were supposed to do to book out the studio. And, uh, Bruce was very upset at me for this. And I remember that's, it's probably, it was probably, I, I know students before me, uh, had probably had Bruce's more fiery side, but this was the, the most angry he ever got at me. And I remember Ed coming out in the middle of the day. He's like, he's like, Matt, I think it's just best right now. If you, if you leave, like go take a walk, go somewhere else. Otherwise it's not going to be good. Um, so he was able to be the the level headed one between the three of us. That's uh, it's always good to have a, an advocate like that. Someone who can understand perhaps both sides of the story and, and give good advice to, yeah. to keep things from getting worse. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like this, this camp had a, had a real uh, effect on you and you, it, is it fair to say you kind of jumped in with both feet into the training program and got like super involved uh, as soon as you could? Yes, 100%. I think I got, once I got announcing cleared, I did Newsline. Um, I think they might've let me do a couple of sports updates. I don't know if it was while I was still in the training class. If it wasn't, it was immediately after, like into November or so. I remember doing sports updates on you know, women's basketball game or something like that right after. Uh, so yeah, definitely jumped headfirst in, was pretty much at every locker room after that. Um, I think I got to do like my first color assignment. So I went from being out of the training class in November to doing a color assignment for men's and for women's basketball, at least before the end of the season. So it seemed like a pretty, a pretty quick jump. <laughs> to to be able to do that and uh I, partly it was i'm sure there was different things involved like whether we had other sports going on or what but it uh, it, it was definitely one of those this whoever uh i think it might have been greg uh was a sports director at the time saying hey we you know we're recognizing how much work you put in and how much you've improved in a short period of time hmm. Um, if you don't remember the first time specifically getting on the air, do you remember your feelings about being on the air? Were you excited? Were you nervous? Were you scared? What was going on in your mind? Definitely nervous. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely nervous for sure. Um, I can remember this sticks out to me at, at, cause the way we had it for, at the time I was a student, once you were, you could get announcing cleared while you were in the training class. And once you were announcing cleared, you could participate in Newsline. Um, so I, I think I got handed like the business news to read on Newsline. And uh, I didn't know all the steps you should do, like really proofreading the copy ahead of time. I think mm-hmm. I might have been, been handed the copy a couple minutes before we went to air and then had to read the business news. And then um, I, one of the words, 
was Daimler Chrysler and it was hyphenated and my brain short circuited as, as I was trying to read this and I flubbed something. I don't know. I didn't, whatever. It wasn't, definitely wasn't my best. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I remember the producer that day was afterwards. She was like, you're terrible. So, <laughs> so I remember that. Uh, I don't know if that was my first, first time, but it was definitely one of the early ones. That's, that's not an encouraging word to, no, to come back. No, no, not at all. Um, obviously, over time, you're going to get better and more comfortable. Was, was there a, a light bulb moment where you thought, okay, I, I've got this? Or was it just a general feeling of, I'm here, I'm doing it, I'm getting the reps, I feel like I can do this? Yeah, it would have been later. It definitely wouldn't have been early years, uh, the, my sophomore year of, of RHU. But I do remember... So Ed used to do these play-by-play workshops and he would, there was one, there were instances where he would listen to your tape, like whatever you did most recently and give you feedback. And then there were a couple of instances where I think we had the recordings of some of the games. I don't know if it was Hofstra games or we were just practicing play-by-play off a screen. Uh, And by that point it was more on a projector screen and not on a tube television like I had in, in camp. But Ed did this thing where he, you would do the play-by-play of the whatever the play happened. And he would say, all right, that was good. I'm going to rewind it. And I want, you to, uh, I want you to add another detail. And then we would do that two or three times so that you, you knew it was coming. But it was, you know, making things a little bit more intricate each time. And that's, that's a... a an exercise that I've taken and and worked in with students that I've taught since, but I can remember, I don't know, there was a basketball game I did and the, you know, it was just a layup or something like that. But I remember adding in the detail of like switches over, lays it in with the left hand, you know, and having just these little finer points to make it even a little bit more descriptive. And I don't know why that sticks out to me, but I remember thinking like, wow, okay. I've kind of got this now. Mm. Because that's a next level. You're not just saying a thing happened. You're describing it in a way. Yeah. And that's something that you probably being someone who's, who's watching and listening to so many broadcasts, you take for granted. And then you realize, Oh no, I've got this in my, in my, my toolbox here that I can use this. Yeah, exactly. And, and some of that, like you say, is the practice with Ed, and some of that is 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 getting the rep. So over time, you get comfortable on the air, I guess. It's fair. Yeah, point. 100%. I, I do remember the first the first few times I did play-by-play live, I was I hated it. I was really uncomfortable. I thought I was really bad. Uh, I didn't quite know how to how to project in a way, because as you can hear, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty even-keeled. I'm pretty steady. Uh, so I didn't know how to get excited uh on the air and um yeah just gradually over the course of time getting those reps feeling a little bit more comfortable and uh and started like feeling comfortable doing it and delivering that performance in a sense Mm. a lot of people i've spoken to who've done live sports broadcasting at, at hofstra radio over time usually you start off uh either doing updates or kind of things or then when you get to actual games usually you're the the color commentator and someone who's got a little more experience is doing the play-by-play was that the case for you or were you jumping in and do you remember anybody who you were working with in your early days 
it mostly the case, but also I started doing some niche sports. Uh, so, uh, but yes, definitely started doing updates, um, some some paneling where you would be the second or third person on the pre pre and post game show. Um, and then I did color for a women's basketball game in Delaware with Brian Mapes. But then after that, once we got into like spring season and that overlap of of um, the fall and spring seasons, like I wrestled, I wrestled in high school, so I had suggested to someone like, oh, we could try wrestling. And, you know, we hadn't done any, we'd never done any wrestling before. So I think I was with Pete McCarthy or, or Evan Wilner, and they were like, all right, do it now. Like, do the play-by-play -play now. We just happen to be at a wrestling match. And I was like, now? They're like, yeah, show me what you could do. So I guess it was good enough that they thought it was worth a shot. So I did that with, with Brett Zoller, and I ended up doing the play-by-play -play for that, and he was the analyst. Uh, and I, I've wrestled. I've done a lot of wrestling, uh, like high school wrestling for MSU Varsity and stuff. And wrestling is an incredibly difficult sport to commentate for, mm -hmm. um, especially if you're you're very green. Uh, and then I did some women's lacrosse games where, because I had played lacrosse in high school, I was the person that wound up being the play-by-play -play person uh, with more of a senior person being the analyst who wasn't as familiar with the sport. So it was... I followed that track to a point, but then I ended up doing play-by-play -play earlier on than than probably would have been uh, historically relevant to other people because I started doing some niche sports also. Hmm. Yeah, and you're you're picking uh, sports that are not necessarily they they don't lend themselves to easy description, as you said, no, wrestling no. or lacrosse. Those are hard sports to broadcast, and, and yeah. you have to really have a lot of tools available to you to do that. So, uh, big challenges. But it sounds like it, it was what you wanted to do. It sounds like you were spending a lot of time doing these things. Yeah, and then the the first year I was a student, the men's lacrosse team went on a great run. They were the number two team in the country. Um, it was Coach Janowski's last year at Hofstra. So that was also just a lot of fun covering that team and kind of getting my feet wet from that standpoint. And again, because I had played the cross, that was a little bit easier for me to see what was going on with certain things. And um, I'd, I've since done a ton more lacrosse and uh, have had great experiences around the game because of being able to do as much as I did at RHU. Hmm. Um, so we talked a lot about your, your on air and, and your, your sports work, but you know, uh, when did you start to feel comfortable at the station? Is it fair to say that that was pretty quick that you got used to being at the station and the people or, or again, was there a moment where you thought these are my people, I, I'm going to be here a lot? No, it was pretty quick. I remember, um, helping out for election night and Alicia Batnelli was, I don't know. I was just helping her out. I was following her around doing whatever, uh, her, Mike Tyne. I remember them being very, very supportive and helpful. And, you know, shortly after that kind of just showing up and keep coming there every day. Hmm. You've mentioned a lot of names, but I always like to ask, like, were there people who were really helpful or were good role models or like someone that you just sort of went, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to see what they're doing or I'm going to hang out with these people a lot. 
from a role model standpoint, uh, I think from from a technical standpoint, I learned a lot from Mac Rice and Diana Ingles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from from on air stuff and like how to carry yourself. It was uh, you know Pete McCarthy, Brandon Costa, Greg Rice, Evan Wilner, Chris Babos. Um, those are the people who would have been like immediately older than me. And then R.E.B. at the time, we had um, we had Alicia Batnelli. Jamie Morris was the station manager after her. Um, Nick Rafter. So those are all people I probably learned from outside of you know Bruce and Ed and and um, John. Hmm. Those are some great names there. So you you had uh, you had quite a uh, a lot of people to to work with and look up to. It uh, and again, it sounds like you you got you know, fully into it. You're, you're still in the, uh, training program and you're helping out with election night. You were, you were fully invested. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you could go back to your mindset to that, uh, that time at the beginning of your sophomore year where you're signing up for the, uh, the class at that, at that time, what did you hope Hofstra radio would mean to you and what did it become? I don't know. I think sometimes, and even still now, like sometimes I'll just go into something and be like, all right, I hope this is good uh, and not really have a plan, not really have a clear direction um, or like a set goal or end end in mind. Uh, So I think that's kind of what it is. And generally, I think, at least in my life, probably the best things have come from entering things with that mindset rather than Hey, like, Hey, I know this is what I want to do. The X, Y, Z. Uh, oftentimes when I've had that route, uh, that ends up in frustration or, or disappointment. Hmm. So, so a lot of times when it's been like, all right, I'm going to try this out and see, and, uh, and see where it goes. That usually, uh, usually ends up pretty well. Hmm. Well, well, thank you so much for for sharing your your stories and your memories of Hofstra Radio. Um, I've got a whole nother set of questions that yeah. uh, I'd love to ask you someday. Maybe if you uh, don't mind sharing your stories, we can do this again sometime. Sure. Yeah. I feel like I I I didn't really mention my wife too much, uh, and I feel like I should otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, that would. But I, probably because you know we we're we we're trying to talk about the the first year, and I do know that. Um, the class, the classes that I had the end of freshman year that were in Dempster, they were both in the same classroom, and I think Kathleen was in both of them, and they had very, um, they had a very different attitude. One was with Professor Knowlton, and it was journalism one, and he was very serious and uh, very print oriented. Like he didn't own a television, he made that very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was this very serious, like three hour once a week class. And then the other class was uh, was a lot more laid back. And uh, I, I remember Kathleen sat in front of me. We didn't really talk too much, but I do remember saying like how different the classes were, uh, you know, just like the mindset and the energy, even though we're in the same classroom, same time, back-to-back days. Um, she had a boyfriend at the time. Not that I was like really, I wasn't like, you know, prying or looking for anything, but um we've, we've kind of laughed about that and joked about that since. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, obviously she was super involved with news and and 
involved with the rest of the station. And it was something that as the year went on, uh, you know, just being around and seeing each other and whatnot, we started to started to date and here we are now. Hmm. Well, I, I think that sounds like a great tease for part two of your interview. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> the ro- the romantic uh, storyline will come through in the, in the next volume. I think that's uh, uh, I don't I don't know if we'll, we'll get that out of you, but uh, we can at least tell the listeners that it will come next time. Sure. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This has been great. Thank you.